Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ broadcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm George Mace, and over here, uh, one man show, Jay Jones. Good morning. You got it. <laughs> I'm switching the camera today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're doing all of it today, aren't you? Yeah. We're missing uh missing Larry. Yep. Yep. You uh you remind me of uh you remember uh Mary Poppins? Yeah. You remember Dick Van Dyke's character? He'd have the he'd be like the one man band. Uh-huh. He's playing, yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of Yeah. You've got you've got just the whole setup in front of you. I've got a video switcher. They uh-huh. can't see it. A video switcher. A uh uh, I don't even. What do you call that thing over there? Our our. Uh, it's a soundboard. Our I guess. Roadcaster Pro soundboard that uh-huh. records our podcast, makes our sound good, and then this computer that does the program. All right. And then I got my tablet. So if anyone's looking for a, <laughs> a volunteer position, <laughs> so I noticed you uh, upgraded us to broadcast, broadcast instead of podcast. Uh-huh. I think I've been. I think I've been listening to too many podcasts. Yeah. I got people. Saying saying all kinds of catchy little things. Uh, do you listen to the uh, the MacArthur podcast? I don't. The preaching one. Uh-uh. It's pretty good. You should check it out. Yeah, just about him. It's called the Expositor. Yeah, it's really good though. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I just don't listen to a whole lot of of. I, I listen to like just some set ones. Mm-hmm. I don't branch out very much because I don't have a uh, I don't have very much time. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got time i always got i always got uh, road time you've got road time yeah drive into games baseball yeah, softball okay games, yeah. but so, even just driving from your house to the to the church yeah yeah i got about uh 15 20 minutes uh-huh. the uh, macarthur I've, so got this, a, I've got about three minutes yeah you could walk <laughs> i could walk you could walk on podcast yeah so this macarthur podcast is <clears throat> like it's kind of like a historical podcast almost mm-hmm. it's done by uh dr duncan out there He's the head of the expository preaching school, I guess you'd call it. Um, very interesting. But this last one, it was about, they called it the Sheepdog. And if you listen to the Mars Hill podcast, uh-huh. you'll notice that there's a major thing that's missing, and that was how John MacArthur was trying to... Uh, initially, he actually wrote him several letters, handwritten letters in the snow. Oh, really? I didn't know this. Okay. So the MacArthur podcast fills in the actual stuff that they apparently left out on purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's almost like they're trying to paint like complementarianism as a problem that fueled Driscoll right. in a way. Well, you have you have MacArthur over here. At the beginning, he's <clears> trying to... And they read some of the letters he wrote him. Okay. Of course, Driscoll blew him off. But then yeah. they talk about how they showed up at the Strange Fire Conference. Right. And so they go into all of that history. Okay. It was, it's pretty interesting. It's like the missing the missing podcast that should have been in the okay in yeah the yeah Mars Hill. <laughs> we were, you know what I mean yeah listening to that uh, listening to the the rise and fall of of Mars Hill one of the things that struck me early on is that they they just kind of blow MacArthur off but they give a lot of time to uh, uh, Rachel Held Evans uh-huh. so you can already see kind of this this liberal bent sure in it. Um, it's still an interesting podcast. You just got to go in. No, yeah. Remembering, all right, this is Christianity. Christianity today is doing it mm-hmm. right. Um, and they're they've been kind of leaning left for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then just just understand they've got a um, they've got a bias against guys like MacArthur. They talk about Piper a little bit. 
um, in one of their episodes. They talk about the Passion Conference. But they give very little time to these guys that we would say are really sound right. um, and really solid preachers. But then they talk about all these emergent mm-hmm. guys and Rachel Held Evans and yeah. people that we would say uh, they're, they're probably out, outside the bounds of orthodoxy. Yeah, he, he wrote him three letters. And then after uh, pretty much, it, it was like a very pastoral from an older pastor to a younger pastor, recognizing he has giftings and he could do a lot of a lot of good or a lot of harm. Yeah. And so he he didn't write MacArthur back for like six months. You should listen to it. It's very interesting. Okay. And uh totally blew off MacArthur's, you know, kind yeah. critiques. Um what he was call, trying to call him to. And you can see how he ignored him and it led to his downfall. Right. I mean he had his crash. Um but later MacArthur released a whole series of blogs openly criticizing him. Okay. He tried initially privately, didn't mm-hmm. work. So he shows up. Of course, this is just self promotion by Driscoll's <clears throat> part. Yeah, to hand out, handing out these right these books. He was there with James McDonald, who also had a crash. Yeah, his ministry fell fell apart. He had a big fall. Um, but what's very interesting is that um, Duncan talks about how they go into his office. So he preached several times during this conference, MacArthur did. So he's working on some of his notes, and like the security staff's there, keep keep people from that ministry there. Because mm-hmm. he tweeted out, Driscoll tweeted out, I'm going down there, whatever, right? So <laughs> yeah. he's on his way. Uh-huh. And he said, like, MacArthur's unfazed. Like, he's like, who cares? He's like working, <laughs> he's like working on his thing. I think Driscoll was yeah. hoping MacArthur would come out and confront him, right? Uh-huh. I mean, just right. fame and infamy and you know all that. Right. He'd blow up on Twitter. Yeah. MacArthur's like, whatever, I'm about to go breach. Right. <laughs> and then he like it's like he, the way Duncan describes it, it's like he's in another reality. Yeah. Like honestly, in the grand scheme of history, Driscoll is like a flea. Yeah. Compared to MacArthur, right. like an elephant. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, I you know, I'm preaching. He's like, whatever, bye. And then he, he goes to do his stuff, and he's out here, you know. Yeah, I think my first first time I I heard MacArthur criticizing Driscoll was about his Song of Solomon yeah series that he did yeah, and uh, <laughs> this was when when we were in Kentucky, so I was in seminary, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> Julie and I tried listening to that series did you ever did you ever listen to any of that series no so here's a here's a married couple in the privacy of our own home trying to listen to this series and we were like no (laughs) this is this is too much (laughs) yeah we didn't we didn't uh we weren't able to get very far in it yeah it's just i mean he's he's like the shock guy yeah um and uh it it was it was it he he believed his own hype and um it's it's real sad the way that that his ministry mm-hmm. imploded and without repentance he went went down to arizona and and started a new church Try and it uh, it's even worse now yeah i mean he keeps a list of people that are like his on his favorites mm-hmm. list at the church do you have a list of favorite people at the church today? <laughs> no <laughs> You have like a blacklist, little black like book. A little whenever, book. whenever someone does something you don't like, well, you're going in the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, that's apparently what Driscoll's doing at this church. Really? It's very cultish. People to ignore. Very cultish. Yeah, yeah. 
That's his style, man. All right. Well, I didn't think we were talking about Mark Driscoll this well, morning, not, but uh, <laughs> that's just, that's a just the way up. that it goes. Yeah, it's an interesting podcast. What's the name of the MacArthur one? Do you remember what I the name of it like is? I think it's like maybe just the Expositor, something like that. Okay. It's, and it it's out. just like a history. This this first season is a history of okay. key things, uh, you know, key key uh, moments in his ministry. Okay. I'll have to check it out. No, this this podcast wasn't really about Driscoll. It was about MacArthur as a sheep, as a sheepdog, uh-huh. and so how he he always aims to protect mm. his people from these different influences. Yeah. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's always calling people out, and um, people always push back against him. Ah, you're being too harsh, right? And then he's always proven right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a pattern. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yep. It's almost as if he's on to something here. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what are we doing Okay. Today, well, let's, uh, today's Text Driven Tuesday, and so we're going to be talking about your sermon from, uh, from John chapter 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't able to talk about uh, your sermon uh, at the end of chapter 18 mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago because I was in quarantine. Yep. So fun times. I listened to it. Took a lot of good notes. Awesome. But uh, didn't get to talk about it. So I, I thought that maybe as a good segue into what you preached on Sunday mm-hmm. out of chapter 19, maybe talk a little bit about um, chapter 18. And really, I think that we, we even had a question um, sent in about Barabbas. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe we could spend just a few minutes talking about that. Okay. Um, what do you think about that? Sure. Does that sound yeah. all right? All right. Okay. So let's talk, let's talk about chapter 18 because okay. um, we're in a narrative, so we don't want to, um, we don't want to skip over mm-hmm. um, this narrative. So we've got Jesus before Pilate, mm-hmm. and that's what your sermon was two weeks ago. Right. Um, and this is the end of chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. Uh-huh. Um, so let's let's just we don't have to spend a whole lot of time okay. on it, so we can get to to chapter nineteen and what you preached on Sunday. But right. uh, maybe just talk a little bit about this. I, I remember your three points. I, mm-hmm. I wrote them down again. Okay, um, your three points. We don't have to go through them, but yeah, maybe just just hit on them. We've we've got the blind guides and camels, mm-hmm. right? We've got kings and kingdoms of the earth, and then we have Jesus and sinners. Yep. Okay. So we've got the we've got the religious leaders. They've had their their little you know. Uh, faux trial yep like their little mock trial that they've got going on with uh with caiaphas now they're going to take him to Pilate. Mm-hmm. uh but something ironic happens when they get there right, right. yeah and yeah. that's that's where you got your that first point about the uh the blind guides and and mm-hmm. the camels yeah right? yeah so these they they won't go into his his like residence yeah um for a, for a Cause they don't particular wanna, reason, yeah, right? yeah, they don't. They said they don't want to go in there because they'll become unclean and they won't be able to keep the Passover. Yeah. So in their mind, whatever it is, it's not like an uncleanness that because there were uncleannesses that you could just go yeah. and take care of in an hour. Mm-hmm. But there are th- this kind apparently is like the seven day kind because I think it's going to make them not be able to celebrate the Passover. So I had to you know do a, do a little investigation. And apparently, this is only based off of pure uh, folk. I don't folklore. Yeah. Maybe the the uh, the the law, if you could trace it to one, is that anyone who comes into contact with a dead body is unclean. Okay. Right. And the the legend is 
and maybe there's some truth to the legend, but that uh, Gentiles would kill their children and bury them under their house, or they'd abort their children and flush them down the toilet. And so thinking that this is the way Gentiles do, they they say, we can't go into your house unclean. So if they remember, this type of stuff developed over like hundreds of years. Right. This is just the rabbinic tradition. This isn't based off of anything in God's law other than you're not to touch a dead body. So you right. can see again this, this massive hedge that they've created around God's law. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was I you you got me you got me on a, a quite a rabbit trail. Uh-huh. Of course, I was sitting in my bedroom, <laughs> quarantined, yeah. so I didn't have any anything else to do. Didn't have anywhere to go. But you got me chasing rabbits because I was I was wondering where did they get this? Because even Peter, even Peter, kind of picks up on this yeah. in Acts uh-huh. Acts chapter ten. Um, when uh, when he's sent for and he he's brought to Cornelius's does, house and he tells Cornelius, it on, yeah. you know, it's it's you know that uh, according to our law, um, we're not, I'm not supposed to even come into your house. Right. And I started thinking, where where is this? Like it's not it's not there. There's nowhere nowhere mm. in the law. The best I could find is in the uh, the intertestamental book uh, Jubilees. Okay. There's a little section about. Um, don't have anything to do with the Gentiles because they're unclean. Uh-huh. But again, this is not. This was not something that was considered canonical, right? No, that, there's early list of of the books that they considered right. inspired, and it's it's our books. It's the sixty six books. Uh-huh. There was never anything else. Uh, but yeah, it seems like, um, especially after the exile, mm-hmm. this is when the Pharisees started to arise. Was after. Um, uh, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the Maccabean revolt and, and all the history there that uh, as the Pharisees arose, they arose out of a good, they had good intentions. They were trying to um, keep the, the Jewish nation pure. Right. But as you, you mentioned, they, they would start putting like fences around fences uh-huh. in order that you wouldn't even come close to, uh, to violating the law. Right. I had a New Testament professor. He he said, um, consider that there was a law that said, don't drink milk. So the Pharisees, they would say, all right, well, in order for you not even to be tempted to drink milk, don't even go down the dairy aisle. Right. And then later on, they say, well, you know, there might be a temptation to go down the dairy aisle, so don't even go in the store. Right. And so you see how they would... They yeah. build. They build these these fences, uh-huh. and so that's what they're doing. Right. Um, there's in so that you don't do anything that the Gentiles do that would be you know wicked. Right. Um, don't even don't do anything with them. Like mm-hmm. have no contact with the Gentiles whatsoever, or you're unclean. Mm-hmm. Not according to God's law, but according to the Pharisees right. and the religious leaders. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they they're trying to appear to be righteous and obedient. And they're straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. That's why I called it blind guides right. and camels, because Jesus, who is the true Passover, is there. They, they don't want to go before a Gentile in a Gentile's house because they want to keep the Passover. But yet they're trying to conspire to kill Jesus, who's an <laughs> innocent man. Right. So they're engaged in a false trial, breaking mm-hmm. actual Moses's law. <laughs> right. They're going to kill an innocent man. Yeah. They're murderers. They're guilty. They're unclean. They're internally unclean already, right. <laughs> right. and they're going to miss the Passover. Right. 
Yeah. They're blind guides and they're and they're straining a gnat to swallow a camel. Yeah. So they they so Pilate has to come out to them. Yep. So he right. goes. I'm sure he was in. A, I'm sure he's in a great mood. Yeah. <laughs> having to come out early in the morning, uh, but then we have he brings Jesus inside. Right. And they have. Um, it's not even a, really a trial before no. Pilate. I mean, it's more of like, it's more of an interrogation. Right. Right. Pilate's trying to figure out: Are you a threat to the Roman Empire? Right. That's what he's trying to figure out because that's what they're they're they've spun it in a way uh, that Jesus <clears throat> is claiming to be the King of Israel. Right. The Messiah. Uh, of course, they know there's theological uh, implications for this, but they're they're emphasizing the political so that they can try to spin it that Jesus is a threat to Rome mm-hmm. uh, because you know the Messiah will literally uh, all the nations of the earth are to worship him and yeah. and like pay homage to him or they'll be destroyed. So I'm sure they pitched that stuff to, to him. Yeah. Right. And because they want him crucified. Right. And so that's his whole deal is I got to figure out what's going on. Like, who are you? Yeah. Why do they want you dead? Right. And so he investigates him. And in that section, you know, we have the section of where Jesus, he, he doesn't deny that he's, that he's not a king. He's, he is a king. Yeah. And he just, he, he, Makes it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. Right. It's not like the kingdoms of the earth, who, who their power comes from other men. It comes from seizing it via the sword. Jesus' power and his authority comes from another world, and it expands through this world in a different fashion. Mm. Not he doesn't. You know, we shouldn't think he's saying my kingdom's no threat to Rome. Right. But the way he does it is wise. Right. It is a th- his kingdom will overthrow Rome. And so it is a threat. He's a threat to Caesar. But he's but he presents it in a fashion where Pilate will say, "Oh, of course. Well, this is just some religious man. He's no he's no threat to right. to the empire, right? Uh, because he's really he's not. There's no threat of revolt or violence. And so, you know, he concludes Jesus is not guilty. He finds no guilt in Jesus at yeah. all. There's no reason for him to be crucified, right? Um, and then we have Barabbas, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's it's. Pilate's custom to release someone um, once a year for them. Mm-hmm. And he asked them, do you want me to release Jesus or do you want me to release Barabbas? Right. Right. Uh-huh. Um, we know the story. They cry out Barabbas. They want Barabbas. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's a, there is a, a theological significance to this, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, it's, about a clear as clear as a uh, illustration as you can get of substitutionary death of Christ on behalf of sinners. Yeah. So Barabbas is an insurrectionist. What they're what they're trying char- to charge Jesus with being an insurrectionist, a threat to Rome. Barabbas is. Yeah. He's a militant insurrectionist. He's a murderer. We're we're told that as well in the Bible. He's a murderer, a thief. Think of him like a a mercenary. Uh, he's a, he's a threat to the Roman Empire. Um. He's, a, he's an evil man, and he's what they're trying to spin Jesus into being, <laughs> right. right? Jesus isn't any of those things. Yeah. He's not guilty. And so you literally have a guilty person going free, yeah. while a non-guilty Jesus dies in their place. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that Barabbas' name means son of the father. Mm. So you got the son of the father who is actually guilty, uh-huh. and you have the actual son of the father uh-huh. Who is not guilty? Yeah, taking his place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So we are uh, we are at well. One of the the question that was emailed to us is is um, 
you know, how how does this highlight the fact that the the Jewish people are presented with a choice uh-huh. to um, choose the actual king, yeah. their Messiah, uh-huh. or to choose uh, you know this insurrectionist who by by them choosing him, they're putting to death their king. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You go back to uh, to Deuteronomy. And, uh, and Moses, he tells them, choose this day, life or death. Life or death have been put before you. Uh-huh. Choose life. Right. Right? Um, Jesus has just said you know, a couple of chapters back that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh-huh. Um, he, he even said in chapter 11, he's the resurrection and the life. Yeah. Uh, and here's the Jewish people there. Instead of choosing life, they're choosing death. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, same same choice that Joshua gives them at the end of Joshua, right? Choose you this day who you'll serve. Yeah, yeah. and they constantly are giving lip service to God, mm-hmm. while at the same time they're they're actually choosing that which will bring death yeah. upon them, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. we just have another just have another example of that of mm-hmm. when they're presented with a choice, they give lip service to serving God. They don't want to go into Pilate's house lest they become unclean and not be able to celebrate their, yeah. you know, the Passover. Uh-huh. But they're they're actually choosing death, right? Yeah, yeah. Good. All right, so let's. Uh, we're at chapter nineteen, 19 now, one. and yeah. the uh, the sermon that you preached on Sunday. Uh, so you got it pulled up. You want to read yeah, it dude. for us? So they demand can... they demand Barabbas, okay. and then the. This narrative continues. There's a chapter break here, but really this is the Pilate Jesus mm-hmm. narrative. Right. So after they demand Barabbas, Pilate text says, then they then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you. Uh, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. They said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, "We have no king but Caesar." So he delivered him over to be crucified. All right. Well, again, this is uh, this is one of those stories. You know, you you 
especially if you grew up going to church, you grew up hearing this story. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's one of those dangerous passages of becoming so familiar with it that you lose sight of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you took this in a direction that I wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily expecting, though really? it's absolutely... <laughs> it's absolutely what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, and you you discuss the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, why did you discuss the sovereignty of God in this story about Jesus before Pilate? Because I don't, I don't think a lot of people are are thinking about that. Right. Um, well, what kind of got me thinking about it is first the way that he's treated by uh, these these soldiers. Right, they weave together a crown of thorns and they jam it on his head. Now you can think of it in one of two ways. You can think, well, this is just a, a method of being cruel and mocking. It has no meaning at all. Um, or you can see that there is a um, connection. That, well, there is a connection. So you can look at the connection, as we'll talk about, and you can see the connection to the beginning of the Bible as pure random chance. Or... I think what is likely is that you see in the connection that God has guided human history in a fashion to where the soldiers do exactly what they did in order to communicate some great theological truth. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of luck. I think it's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. I think luck is ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's clear. And then I think also what cued it up even greater was how Jesus answers Pilate. Okay. He thinks he's in charge. Pilate thinks he's in charge, right? He's like, uh, why aren't you talking to me? I'm the, I'm the one in charge here. I have authority to crucify you or let you go. And Jesus answers him, not really. <laughs> you're, you're really not in charge here. Yeah. You're only doing what has been given to you to do. Okay. And so that is the sovereignty of God again. Right. And then the third one is more of a um, implication what can make someone believe in Jesus? Like, if these people won't, well, there's only one way. That's if God performs yeah. some divine rescue. So, I don't know. This is if that is a good explanation as to my my uh, <laughs> the method, the train, the train uh-huh. of thought as yeah. I was looking at the passage. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, I I see it. Yeah, I see it. And um, you started out your sermon by talking about nine eleven, mm-hmm. and I thought that that um, was anecdotal. Right. Um, so I, I thought that that was that was really good because nine eleven is this massive event in American history. We just just right. remembered the the twentieth anniversary mm-hmm. um, on Saturday, and uh, but it had a, a particular impact on the course of your life. Right. Yeah. And I, I find that to be um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you know when it happened, I was in college. Um, I was a junior in college and getting ready to go down to kinesiology class. And, you know, I knew it was going to impact my life because my dad was in the Army. He was going to eventually deploy, so I, I knew that was going to happen. He was He had been around, in around about 20 years at that point, I think. Um, and, of course, he did. But I didn't know later is that I would go as well. Like, I would, I would go into the Army, and then I would eventually go. And that, of course, led into a... Uh, a connection, a chain, a history, like a unfolding of events, you know, in my life to where, you know, when I came back, I didn't believe in God, um, and, well, because of the problem of evil, didn't believe in God, became a nihilist, um, and that's all due to 
9-11. Yeah. Right. So um, we, I didn't stay there eventually, you know. But that's that's the impact that 9-11 had on my life yeah. initially. Mm-hmm. And it's there's even more as I think as we finish this up. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. But yeah. And so but then I had no framework from which to understand that. Um, many Christians did. I had I had none, and most I'd say a ton of people in the world didn't. So you'd have to just see things. The things that happened, you know, there's no way to process it. Is it pure accident? Is it, you know, is there anyone in control of anything? Does anything, you know, is there any meaning or anything? Is it even wrong what happened? Right? If you're a nihilist, is it even wrong? What happened on nine eleven? Yeah. There's so there's all of these things. Hmm. Um, if you don't believe in in a sovereign God, then I don't know how you process all of these things. And so that's kind of what I was trying to pull out of this introduction: is the sovereignty of God, like Spurgeon said, is the is the pillow upon which we lay our head. Well, that's true if you're if you're a believer and you believe in the biblical God. Uh, for a lot of people, they don't though. Even people that claim to be Christians, they don't believe in the biblical God. And so today, 20 years later, things are very chaotic. The exit from Afghanistan was a mess. Uh, COVID's everywhere now. People are dying all over the place. If you ask anybody you know, do you know anybody that died of COVID last week? They're going to say yes. That wasn't the case a year ago. It is now. People are dying left and right. People getting sick, going to the hospital. Um, So things just appear to be totally out of control. Um, So kind of the aim was to present... Uh, this text in a fashion, you have something that appears to be very chaotic. Jesus has the correct perspective, right? He's cool, calm, and collected because he understands the truth that we're about to unfold, that God, there is a God who is sovereign over everything, human history, evil intentions of men, and even conversion. Um, so Jesus is like the epitome of what Spurgeon said. He's He's about to be have bad things happen to him, and he's totally confident and calm. Yeah. Bad things have already happened to him yeah. by the time we yeah. get to this get to this this point, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he's already been beaten on. Yep. Yeah. Right? Um, okay. So we've got three points um, out of your sermon today or Sunday: uh, the King of Redemption, the Son of God, and the Slave Master of Sin. Mm-hmm. And all of these are going to be connected to that one central theme, the, the sovereignty of God. Can you give just a brief definition of the sovereignty of God? What do you mean by God is sovereign? Because uh, a lot of people will use that word. What do you mean okay. when you so, say yeah, sovereignty? God rules the universe as a king rules a land. So think of the old kings. Um, they could do whatever they wanted, and they had the ability to do whatever they wanted over their land. So God rules the universe in that fashion, as a king rules his land. He's free, God is free to do, and he is able to do whatever he wants. Okay. No one can resist his will. Um, and everything that happens in the world and in the universe is either directly caused by God or indirectly caused by God via his permission, him allowing it to take place. Okay. So there's my... I don't know, street definition, I don't know. Street definition, all right. Yeah. <laughs> the street definition. 
Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's talk about the King of Redemption. This is verses one through six. So this first verse always, always gets me every time I, every time I see it. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Yeah. All throughout this, this, this intercourse between Pilate and, uh, and Jesus, he's going to be saying that there's no guilt yeah. in him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet we see the cruelty of the Romans, mm-hmm. right? Like I find no guilt in him, but I'm gonna I'm gonna beat him anyway. I'm gonna send him to uh, to get beaten. Yeah. So this this is unjust. Yeah, yeah. Right. Jesus is already experiencing an, a massive a massive injustice, but this just highlights the the cruelty of the of the Romans that they'll they have no qualms about severely. And yeah. I think we'll talk about it severely beating yeah. someone, yeah. even if they're, even if they, he hasn't done anything wrong. I believe it's Luke. Luke tells us his strategy is that he'll punish him and then let, then let him go. Mm-hmm. His, apparently he thinks if he presents Jesus as we'll see he is, they'll take pity on him. Yeah. And they'll be like, ah, he's not a threat. Mm-hmm. They'll say, okay, don't crucify him. Yeah. So, not the case. Yeah. So what, what is going into this, uh, into this process because this is this is just standard Roman procedure right. when they're uh, they're beating a prisoner. Uh-huh. What what are they doing? So they um, they strip you naked, tie mm-hmm. you to a pole, and then they would take out their their whip. They have this Roman whip that has like nine or more leather ends on it, and then the inset in that would be pieces of metal, like. Think of like ball bearings or something like that, or smaller ball bearings, uh, and or pieces of bone. Just depends on whatever. And then, uh, so these guys are just professional soldiers. So think about a guy like a major league baseball player swinging a baseball bat, separately swinging a whip, and they whip you head to toe, literally from your heels to the top of your head, and then they would f- roll you over and do it on your stomach side. You're going to get it everywhere. And the historians record that when, when these whips hit, they hit with such force, they would completely lacerate your body open mm. and sometimes rip away flesh so severely that your internal organs would be visible. And so they would whip Jesus like this, head to toe. Yeah. This would kill, this would sometimes would kill people. Right. They, they had orders apparently to stop before they got to that level. But this is. This is the best explanation as to why Jesus dies so quickly on the cross. Mm-hmm. Why he can't even carry his cross up right. the hill. Yeah, he's he's at this point already lost severe amount of blood. Right, and uh, would be virtually unrecognizable as a human being. Yeah, his face swollen and beaten. Um, I, people have different opinions about the uh, the Passion of the Christ movie. Yeah, uh, the Mel Gibson movie. Um, I certainly had problems with people saying this is the greatest evangelical tool right <laughs> you know um but uh it does it does give a very graphic portrayal of what's going on i mean the the scene where they are are flogging him is difficult to watch right um because of how historically accurate it is yeah um yeah and this this is what they're doing to him um as a prelude to pilot bringing him out and saying i find no guilt in him right Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not in the text, but you got to think 
it's meant to be fear-inducing to you, mm-hmm. to the Jews that have showed up. Right. Like, you're not going to disrespect Pilate. Right. This is the guy who's who's sent out into a crowd of, of people that were protesting him, mm-hmm. soldiers uh, dressed up like Jews, and started stabbing people in the back. Yeah. He's not, this is not a good guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think because, like, sometimes Pilate is presented as this, like, limp-wristed guy. Yeah. Um, he's a cruel, he's a cruel person. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes he's presented almost like we should pity him for the right. position that the the religious leaders are putting him in. They're all wicked. Mm-hmm. They're all and they're all pursuing their own their own means to an end. Yeah. Right. And uh Pilate is is the same. Mm-hmm. He's not a he's not a good guy. I, I think it's in Luke where the people come and ask Jesus about the the people that Pilate killed. Mm-hmm. Um in the temple, I think. Yeah. I think it's uh, in the temple he killed Killed some people. Probably when he was robbing the treasury. Right. Because he robbed the treasury mm-hmm. in right. order to build an aqueduct. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> really respected. I'm sure I'm sure they I'm sure they all around they they all appreciated each <laughs> yeah. other. Yeah. Um but uh the soldiers do something even worse, right? Yeah, so they you know they they gotta have their fun. Mm-hmm. So the scene of him would be like just grotesque. It'd gross most people out. Right. So they weave together a crown of thorns, mm-hmm. um, and these thorns probably date palm thorns. They're like as as long as a human hand. Right. You know, like six or seven inches long, I guess. Yeah. And they weave together a crown of thorns, and they they cram that on his head, and then they take off probably one of the soldiers' cloaks. It's purple, which is the color of royalty, and they put it on on Jesus, and then they start to bow down, and they genuflect in front of him, like yeah. you would if the emperor came to town. They start to bow down to him, and they, uh, they're they mock-worshipping him, hail the king of the Jews. Right. And they're, I mean, they're having their fun in their games. Mm-hmm. They're striking him and stuff while they're doing this and laughing, no yeah. doubt, laughing and having a, a great hysterical time. And it just shows again, like, like how bad the human race is. Right. We're not basically good. Yeah. When God removes restraint off of a people, humankind runs rampant, does just unimaginable evils. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned it um, in your sermon, but we also see God's grace in this uh in this situation mm. um god should just destroy all of these guys right like you laid your hands on the son of god mm-hmm. and yet god is he's merciful to them right yeah um all to accomplish his purposes right um because yeah. what they're doing is not it's not random like they don't just randomly say hey let's get some you know some thorns yeah how about how about we make you know something to put on his head out of these thorns like there's a there's a purpose there's a purpose behind their their thoughts right why right. they why they're doing it they're trying to make him look like uh caesar mm-hmm. so caesar uh on the roman coin has this it's called a radiant crown yeah it's little spikes behind his head you can look it up um online and find them and these little spikes the Statue of Liberty might have a radiant crown. Does she have that? A could be what? Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she definitely has the crown. The spiky that has things. the spikes. Yeah. So that's meant on the coin to reflect the glory hmm. of the emperor. Okay. That he's glorious, and it's almost like light or something. Uh-huh, beams, right. I don't know spikes. Yeah. So they make a spiky, spiky mm-hmm. crown and they cram it on his head. Right. So they can laugh. 
uh, you know, look at their creativity. Right. They laugh and they mock him. Yeah. But there's there's something else behind it, right? Yeah. I mean, what's really behind it is it's either, like I said, the biggest coincidence ever and pure <laughs> luck. Right. Uh, it can't, but it's not that. Yeah. Uh, there, God, God is guiding history to unfold mm. in this fashion, yeah. I believe, because He's so- God is sovereign over human history so that it will unfold in this way to communicate an explicit theological truth. Mm-hmm. Like some connections in the Bible are there legitimately, but they're not so explicit. This one is like the most explicit ever. Yeah. Really. So uh, it takes us back to Genesis 3. Um, Genesis 3, Adam is a king. He's the king of all creation. That's really who he is. He's the head of uh, the head of the human race, representative of all humanity, and he's to rule God's creation under God as God's king. And um, he falls, the fall the, in Genesis 3. He fails, gives into temptation, uh, created order, gets flipped upside down, and as a result of Adam's fall, the creation itself is cursed. So it's not just this is not just sin between Adam and God like it spreads to everything God had made, right. and God uh, tells Adam, "This is what God says to him: Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So thorns and thistles are a sign of the curse mm-hmm. of the fall, right?" of cursed creation. Um, and so the Roman soldiers, unknowingly, they crown Jesus in glory as the king uh, who is taking the curse of the fall upon himself. Yeah. So it, it makes an explicit theological picture, right? The best one. Can you even think of a better one? <laughs> right. That this, this second Adam, Jesus as the second Adam, the king of creation, the rightful king of creation, the head of... Uh, the federal head of new creation is taking upon himself not just the sins of all his people; he's literally taking on the curse of all of creation in order to redeem it. Yeah, and it, you know, un- unless you know, it, people might think oh, you're kind of grasping at straws. I I looked up thorns in a concordance, uh-huh. and this is a consistent um, picture of. The curse. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, in Deuteronomy, when uh, the curses are being pronounced upon Israel for disobedience to the law, um, if if they fail to keep the commandments, the land will no longer bear fruit for them. It will bear thorns. Um, so and and you see it all throughout the the prophets um, that this is this is a picture of of cursing mm-hmm. um, thorns. And uh, so I, I like that connection. I I hadn't really thought about that before, but that's that was a, a really um, a great connection to see that Jesus is being crowned with the the symbol of the curse. And then he bring and Pilate brings him out. This and just think about the image of what you would be seeing at this point. Yeah, you'd be seeing a human. A, he says, "Behold the man." Right. There's theological meaning to that too. Mm-hmm. That Jesus is a true man. Yeah. But he's bloodied head to toe he he looks like a uh, it's a spectacle a wonder a spectacle <laughs> right Eaten head to toe bloodied blood dripping a crown of thorns his face swollen eyes mm-hmm. probably barely open yeah. um 
looking like marred, like the image of God is totally marred. Yeah. Again, it, the truth that's communicated mm-hmm. is so profoundly explicit. Right. Like this is what sin has done yeah. to the human race, and Jesus is the picture of it. Right. Yeah. Um, the the scripture reading on Sunday was Isaiah fifty two and fifty three, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the picture of of Jesus being brought out, um, just disfigured. Mm-hmm. Just as bloody pulp, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I can imagine, you know, they they put this, they beat him, they they flog him, he's lacerated and bleeding, and then they put this robe on him, then they rip this robe off of him, that just causes even more more pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is yeah the the picture of the Son of God doing this in the place of of sinners. Yeah. Um, it's it's astonishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who? This is not human invention, mm-hmm. right? This is like you said, the sovereignty of God that is guiding human history to this point. Um, and it's uh, it's just the amazing grace mm-hmm. that's found in Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we have the King of Redemption. The next, um, and, and it's something to really dwell on too. Like, it, it really is, on. yeah. That uh, God is in control of history, right? Like He, history is unfolding according to God's plan to make you focus on this. That yeah. everything is about in the Bible is about Jesus. Yeah, and the only way all these lessons can be taught is if God is sovereignly in control of the things that are taking place. Right, and that doesn't stop after Jesus resurrects from the dead. Right. So it's important for us to know that, so we can, you know, when things are going on in our life, that we don't become um, anxious, that anxiety doesn't overcome us to, to the, the point of despair. This is the worst thing that ever happened in history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's no, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is, this is infinitely the the worst thing that has ever happened. Yeah. And and God is sovereignly in control of everything that happens. Mm-hmm. So if this is the worst thing that's ever happened and God is, is sovereign over it, that it's all happening according to his, his purposes and his plans, then, then we, as we experience lesser things, lesser right. evils, um, we can also be confident that God is, is sovereign, right. that he's guiding human history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everything that's happening. I mean, we've, I, I pity the people who, if they're allowed to, write history books about the last couple of years. Right. Because um, we're just seeing just these massive historical things happen. Yeah. And um, it's easy to be overwhelmed by these things mm-hmm. and think that it's all out of control, like you said. Yeah. And yet God is in control. He's guiding history. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's all right. So the first section was the king of redemption. We see Christ clothed in the the signs of the curse mm-hmm. um but he's actually redeeming his people yeah uh the second section verses 7 through 11 is we see the son of god yeah and this the uh the title of this section just comes you know from the text 
They bring him back out. Or he says he brings them back out. See, there's no guilt in him, and they they protest again. No, we have a law, and according to this law, that he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. He's blasphemed. By let let me son. ask you a question, and this is going to be just kind of speculation. Mm. Do you think Pilate is toying with them? Like he he knows what they want. He knows why they want it. Yeah. Um. Do you think that he's kind of playing with them at the same time like he's a cruel guy yeah do do you think that there's there's a little bit of that going on i think what he's doing is he's trying to it could be that you know the jews they see themselves as so righteous right uh-huh above even above gentiles right you so, won't even come into my house right right and so he brings out a non-guilty man and he makes uh-huh. them repeatedly right demand publicly right that a non he what he says he's not guilty because Pilate Pilate doesn't have any qualms about putting to death an innocent Jew. Oh no, like he's, these guys are crucifying he's not, people. Right. right, he's 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 not going to be kept awake at night. No, with a guilty conscience, I killed an innocent an innocent man. He's killed plenty of innocent people. Mm-hmm. In his his climb up the ladder, he he may have personally killed right. innocent people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just wondering what you what you thought about the interaction. I think between... he's just trying to make them say it over and over publicly. Yeah, so he can expose them as not really being so righteous. Yeah, yeah. Don't so... come into my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, they they're still saying away with him. Right. They they still are protesting. Mm-hmm. And now they're their real reason is coming out, right? Right, yeah. And, and you can see their, their reason is blasphemy. They're saying he's blasphemed by calling himself the son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, the the law against this is Leviticus 24, 16. But Jay, we all know that Jesus never claimed to be God. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> isn't, yeah. That the, isn't that a common, a common argument? Right. Jesus never claimed yeah. divinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's, I mean, this is their reason. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall be put to death. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they're saying. They're saying he's blaspheming Yahweh's name okay. somehow. Um, we don't have to go back and read this, but Jesus makes it very clear what he's claiming in John 5. In John 5, uh, after they question him how he heals on the Sabbath, he pretty much says this, I work as the Father works. He, his work and mine are equal. I say what he gives me to say. Our words are equal. I have the authority to judge. He's giving me all authority to judge humanity. I raise the dead and give them life. Mm. So he's claiming explicitly equality with God. Yeah. Um, and so they know it. Yeah. So there's no, really no question they I mean, know what he's claiming. At least twice in the book of John, they they say, you're making yourself equal with God. Yeah. Like the religious leaders know better than the modern day liberal, right? And he never denies, right? That's what he's doing, because that's what he's doing, uh-huh, right? Very, very clear fashion in a number of ways. Yeah. So yeah. But, now this is now this is interesting, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'm glad that you you said that you kind of chased you know this trail. Right. But I'm glad you did because the Jewish the Jewish theological worldview should have should have room for this yeah that he's claiming to be the son of god yeah he's he's claiming divinity Mm -hmm. 
Um, so in other words, there's multiple persons uh-huh. in the Godhead. Right. And an honest look at the Old Testament scripture should make make room for that, right? It should, yeah. And in fact, to, today, this is the way uh, Jewish Christians, they will argue to uh, Jews who deny Christ, they'll take them to the Old Testament and they'll show them the two Yahwehs in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Now that might come as a shock to people to find out there are two Yahwehs in the Old Testament. And we've talked about it on here before, but it's explicitly seen in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. that there are actually two Yahwehs in one narrative, mm-hmm. like in one sentence. That Yahweh on earth rained down fire right. and sulfur from Yah or fire and brimstone from Yahweh in heaven. Yeah. So who's yeah. the Yahweh on earth? Well, if you trace it through the uh, the Old Testament, it becomes pretty clear that there's a physical manifestation of Yahweh in the not in the sense that in a human sense, but in the physical realm. Because mm-hmm. you have to remember, Yahweh, the Trinitarian God, is outside of time space. Yeah. Right? He's, he's outside of time and space. He's totally separate from his creation. But whenever he communicates in this world, he will enter into this world in a physical way and talk to people. like in, Not in like, oh, I heard a voice in my head, but like actually communicate with them. They sit and down and talk to him, and he appears as a man mm-hmm. when he does this. And this man figure is called the angel of the Lord. Right. We've, we've talked about this privately before, this probably would be a good free for all, yeah. Just to talk about this, I, I think that at least growing up, really until the last several years, um, whenever it said that the word of the Lord came to somebody, mm-hmm. I would always picture like this disembodied voice, right? Um, but if you really examine the text, it seems like the prophets are seeing somebody, right? Like someone is standing in front of them, talking to them. Uh So the word of the Lord is coming to them. Um, For instance, Genesis chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Mm -hmm. Well, how can a word come in a vision, Mm -hmm. right? Later on in that same passage, this word of the Lord who came to Abram in a vision takes him outside. So there's there's somebody there. Mm -hmm. It's not a disembodied voice. Abraham right. Abraham's not just hearing a voice. Right. He's seeing somebody who's talking to him. Yeah, and then in one case he sat down and ate with him. Right. So he and he recognizes him when he comes the next time. Right. Like he knows who he's talking to. Yeah. So recognizable features. Mm-hmm. Uh Moses encounters this person in the burning bush right. called the angel of the Lord, and in the next instance he's talking to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And ask him his name, the name is revealed Yahweh. Yeah. And and so then you the connection is made, the angel of the Lord carries the name of Yahweh, and he's in the pillar of fire. Uh, This angel of the Lord, the text tells us, goes behind the Israelites, protects them from the Egyptians, like blocks them, um, and throws them into uh, disarray. And then the next instance, that's Yahweh in the pillar. So they're they're the same person. Right. And Jude makes it clear who that person is. Surprise! (laughs) Right. Who's the person? Yeah. Who's in the pillar? And Jews says it's Jesus, that Jesus rescued them. Yeah. Uh, so Jesus is, uh, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord bears the name of Yahweh, mm-hmm. reveals Yahweh. In the New Testament, Jesus bears the name of Yahweh and reveals Yahweh. Yeah. They're the same person. So Right. Um, but they're, they're rejecting this. And they reject, yeah. They're rejecting this. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't make, they don't, they don't have 
they don't have a, a correct interpretation of the Old Testament. Right. But ironically, yeah, Pilate's theology. <laughs> well, yeah, this is what's really ironic about this. <laughs> Can it does it does he does make allowance for this? There is room for for this kind of idea in Pilate's theology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Pilate, of course, is a pagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Roman. Um, he believes in the Roman pantheon of the gods, um, and in their in the in the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, their gods visit men all the time in human form, and sometimes they have children with them. And these demigods walk the earth, right? And so he takes it serious. It appears he's like gets, mm-hmm. he's kind of afraid. They say that he's he's a son of God, and he's like, "Well, hang on a second. You know <laughs> right. what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah." And uh, so he his wife already had a bad dream, so he's already a little bit afraid anyway, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then he sees he's not guilty. He's talking about he's a king, and and then here they are. They're saying he's some divine son of God. Right. So he takes it serious enough to examine him. So he takes him back in again, uh, talks to him, examines him. This time Jesus won't say anything. He just stands there. And as he's just standing there, uh, Pilate's like, hey, uh, don't you know that I have authority to to free you or I have authority to crucify you? Like, don't you know I'm in charge here? I can do with you what I want? And uh, then Jesus speaks up and he says, the way he answers is, like, you're not really in charge. Yeah. You have no authority over me except for that which has been given to you from above. You can only do with me what's been given to you to do. You're not in charge here at all. Yeah. Um, that's Jesus' answer. <laughs> so it's an interesting answer to think about. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So Jesus, again, is asserting God's sovereignty. Right. Yeah. Over this whole situation, mm-hmm. Pilate, Pilate, the one who thinks he's in charge, isn't in charge. Yeah. Whatever he does, he does because that's what God gave him to do. So is Pilate a slave to God's sovereignty? And that brings sovereignty? us up, right? That's the question. Does it bring up? Is he not guilty then if he's doing what God has given him to do? And the answer is right here in the text. Um, Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Right. He, he does, he's not saying you're alleviated from responsibility. He just says, look, there's categories of, of, of degrees of sin and guilt. You have some. Mm-hmm. Those who delivered me over to you have more. Yeah. Right? So Judas has more, possibly more than anyone, because he has been exposed to the greatest revelation uh, of any of them. The next would be the, the, the leaders of the Jews, because they have revelation as well. Pilate, in comparison, doesn't have that level of revelation given to him. Right. Uh, but yet he still does. And I think it's Paul that says that uh, Jesus gave a good testimony before Pilate. Mm-hmm. So there's more than what we're given in the text. Yeah. Uh, I think Jesus, his testimony that he gave is enough to Pilate. He is a king, but not from this earth. Right. Right. Uh, his authority doesn't come from here. He has a different kingdom. And so um, he'll do exactly what God has given him to do. He's not really the one that's in charge of Jesus' history, of his life, and he still bears guilt for what he's about to do. So, How do we understand this? Well, so the th- there's a theological term for it we talked about. It. It's called compatibilism. And all this really means is that God is sovereign over everything, even the sinful choices and decisions of men and their sinful actions. And yet, at the same time, men are accountable for what they freely do. Is this a just a theological category, or can we actually see this 
in the Bible. Yeah, you, I mean, you can see it in the Bible, but the other thing to remember about this is that in this biblical view of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, men act freely mm. according okay. to their according to their nature, yeah. right? God doesn't put any evil inside the heart of man. He doesn't hold uh, a gun to their head and make them do some evil, right? Um, the, the people who act act according to their des- own desires, and no one else is forcing them to do these things. Uh, the, and this is why it's called compatibilism, because it's the view that God's sovereignty over everything is compatible with man's free decisions that they make according to their own nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story of Joseph is the most clear example, Yeah, Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph uh, is the king of pretty much the world. He rules the world under Pharaoh, most powerful man in the world. His brothers had prior, prior they had sold him into slavery. They wanted to murder him, then they changed their mind. Then they sell him into slavery, think they'll never see him again. And because of God's sovereignty over all of human history, right, uh, he rises to this place of power and meets up back up with his brothers. Once the big reveal happens, his brothers are terrified. They're scared. They think, oh, now he's going to kill me. They're gonna, he's going to take revenge on us for what we did to him. And he tells them not to be afraid. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Right? So you have God's sovereignty over everything, even the sinful decisions and actions of men. But in that action, God's overruling it, and God's sovereignty can never be divorced from his goodness. This is what has to be remembered, that God meant what they did for good. Not that he used it after the fact for good, but that he meant what they did for a great good, which was to save pretty much all of civilization at that time mm-hmm. and the Jewish people. Yeah. So it's it's there. I mean, it's in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, another another example is uh, Isaiah chapter 10 with uh, Assyria. So Assyria, the king of Assyria has evil intentions in his mind, mm-hmm. but he's doing what God wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like this example in Genesis chapter twenty. It's a it's it's a positive example. So in, in we've been talking about God's sovereignty over um, evil, but He's also sovereign over the the good things, I guess, that people do. Yeah. Um, Abraham he gives his wife away for the second time yeah. <laughs> to Abimelech. He says, you know, he tells her, "Say you're my sister." Um, but God approaches Abimelech in a dream and says, "You're a dead man." because you've taken another man's wife. Mm-hmm. And Abimelech says, I haven't touched her. I haven't, I haven't done anything mm-hmm. um, that would um, you know, uh, make her impure. And uh, God's response is, um, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Mm-hmm. So Abimelech hasn't touched Sarah, but God reveals that, Sovereignly, it was him who was keeping him from mm-hmm. from doing that. Yeah, um, and and then you know you look at Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, where the apostles very clearly say that um, evil men are putting Jesus to death, but it's God who has pre predestined this to happen. Right, it's God's sovereign purpose. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they preach. This is what the apostles preach. This yeah. is this is their preaching. Yeah, right. That. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested to you by 
by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. Yeah. So it's there clearly. Right. Um, that's that's the early church preaching. Yeah. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to apologize for it. Right. Um, did did Pilate do what God wanted him to do? Yes. Is he still guilty? Yes. Yes. Right. And we don't have to we don't have to try to make some kind of excuse for, for either one of those. Yeah. I mean, just think about the alternatives to God being this way are not worthy of praise. Yeah. God would not be worthy of praise, right? So you would you would have a God who has plans that can be frustrated by evil men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the illustrations I gave is, one, is some impotent God in the corner just wringing his hands, stressed and worried about, like, who's going to frustrate his plans next? Right. And then the other one is, like, God is a, a, a great chess master, and he's like, hey, I know evil men do things, but and they're free to do them, but I'm the greatest chess master of all, and I can counter every move a human can make. Yeah. Because I'm that good at playing historical chess, right? And that's not praiseworthy either. Yeah. Why would you praise that God? He can't stop anything bad from happening. Why would you pray? He can't. He said, "Well, God save me from this." Well, I will if the pieces fall correctly. <laughs> if I can maneuver yeah. the pieces right, yeah, and it works out best, then I will. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, how can that help anybody that's dealing with issues and problems? Right. And things are going bad. Yeah. Yeah, it just leaves God to be this um, excellent guesser, right? Um, yeah. And that's why the prophecy, the prophecies of the Old Testament are, are so specific, is because God just He's really good at guessing, <laughs> right? Or yeah. just that He looks down through time mm-hmm. and learns what they're going to do, right. which we've we've talked about before. God doesn't learn anything. He has an epistemistic time machine. What? I just, <laughs> Did you just make up a word? I just created a new category of Did words. You? <laughs> but it works, right, George? It does it work? I guess. I better trademark that phrase. Yeah. Write that down. Epistemistic time machine. Ed Litton's going to steal that if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get into too much trouble, <laughs> the third the third point um, here is the slave master of sin, and it's verses 12 through 16. Yeah. Um, so Pilate is seeking to release him, but the Jews cry out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Yeah, and this is it. This is this is what they the one thing that they play. This is their uh-huh. last card. They right. know they know if they go at him here. They've got him, and they do. Yeah. He's this uh, this man has spent his entire life trying to climb up the social classes. Mm-hmm. Th- th- there's sh- different stratifications, and you can climb your way pretty high. You can reach you'll reach a certain ceiling if you weren't born into uh, specific families. But right. um, he apparently is in the uh, in the equest- equestrian class by now. Is that the correct word? Equestrian. Equestrian. There we go. Um, he's politically ambitious. Mm-hmm. This, his goal was not to be the, uh, hey, I've reached my goal. I'm the governor of Judea now. <laughs> right, go. this, this kind of backwater. Right. He want, No doubt he would want to go to Rome and maybe eventually become a senator. Who knows? Right. But he wants to go as far as he can, and uh, he apparently maybe has the title friend of Caesar. It's like an unofficial title. Um, yeah, you got me, you got me uh, 
researching this, yeah. looking it up, this was, I guess, a a title that would be given to these provincial uh-huh. governors. Right. Yeah. Those that were shown to have been in allegiance, loyal to mm-hmm. Caesar. Right. Um, and they say, you're, you're not a friend of Caesar if you don't. Right. You got a man here claiming to be king. And, and see, uh, Pilate, he's already, he's already, um, in the doghouse, right. as it as it were, yeah, like yeah. he's he's already had some problems mm-hmm. that um, is on Caesar's radar, right? Yeah, um, and so he's at the same time he's trying to, to prevent a, a riot. He doesn't want any more, yeah, because here's another black mark on his on yeah. his you know his record, and um, so he's trying to avoid this because he could be demoted. Yeah, he could be brought back to Rome, not in a not in right, a good way, yeah. right? Yeah, and apparently, you know that if it got back that mm-hmm. that you were disloyal, Caesar right. was a very suspicious person, mm-hmm. paranoid, maybe even even. Yeah. And I think all of the emperors were paranoid. Probably. Everybody's trying to be be the emperor, right? And uh, easily, like whatever, just I'm not even going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And how I'm not going to worry about it is just take care of him. Yeah, get rid of him, right? <laughs> He's done. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what they they do. They say, you know, they're threatening him. We're going to send word back that you're disloyal. To yeah. Caesar. Here's here's a guy who's claiming to be king, and uh, you you had the opportunity to put him to death and you didn't. Right. Is something going on? Yeah. There's some kind of conspiracy. Yeah. And so, the slave master of sin for for him is you know he's politically ambitious. Mm-hmm. Everything he does in his life, it is controlled by this one thing. Yeah, and he'll even kill innocent people to see it accomplished. Yeah, he's got the fear of man, mm-hmm. and so that's controlling him. Even you know, in this situation, right. he's counting the cost. He knows Jesus is innocent, mm-hmm. and he loves his himself more than than to do what's right and just. Yeah, he even thinks this guy could be more than a man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not it's not in John's gospel; it's in Matthew's gospel that his wife has a dream. Yeah, and sends him. Sends him a note saying, "Have nothing to do with this man." Right. Uh, I think she says something like, "I've suffered suffered greatly on yeah. his account uh-huh. um, in a dream." Uh-huh. Um, he's got them, you know, saying he's made himself to be God, and even even Jesus's response to him uh, when he <laughs> asked him, it probably it should stag- shouldn't, it shouldn't fill him with much confidence. It should stagger him a little bit, right? To say. I mean, who does that right before you're about to be crucified? Yeah. Like, this guy isn't, he's not begging for his life. He's not, yeah. He's, he doesn't seem afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something different about this guy. He's not, he's not a normal, he's not a normal uh, prisoner here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, would, you can just see how completely enslaved he is. Right. Uh, to his own, his own sin. Yeah. He would rather kill, even in his own theology, of if Jesus is a demigod. Right. He's still he's still more willing to kill uh, a deity than relinquish his his control. Yep. Right. Yeah. And the Jews also reveal it. The leader the leaders of the Jews in, in particular, the chief priest. Uh-huh. This this statement that they make, he brings them back out. Behold your king. They keep crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And then the chief priest stands up representing yeah. really the people, the nation. And this statement, I think it's one of the, I mean, the saddest statements in the Bible. We have no king but Caesar. Mm. 
Like these are supposed to be the people that are so loyal to Yahweh, right? Right. That they'll make hedge upon hedge around the law in order to not offend Yahweh. Yeah. And yet they he'll say, We don't have any king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Which is just a complete lie. Right? They hate the Romans. Right. They hate the Romans. If Jesus had come the way that they wanted him to come mm-hmm. as this conquering, this conquering king, uh, you know, David coming to uh, to to slay the the enemy. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they would have easily rebelled against the Romans, but because he doesn't come the way that they want, they they're. They just lie. Mm. They lie about where their allegiance is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the rightful king of the only true king of Israel is Yahweh, mm. is their God. And this is the in the Old Testament, you see it. Um, this was God's plan for the nation. You know, they tried to uh, install Gideon as king, and he refused. He said, I'm not going to rule over you. God, God is to rule over you. And then later they demand a king again to Samuel, and they said, give us a king so we can be judged like the nations. And he's real upset by it. Apparently he's personally offended, and God tells him, tells the prophet, you know, don't be offended, they've rejected me mm-hmm. as their king. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And so God, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He graciously goes along with their their wish to have a human rule over them, but the the deal is is like David. We get to David, the legitimate king, and his sons only are legitimate kings insofar as they are like vice regents ruling for Yahweh under His covenant. Right. So only insofar as they are faithful to the covenant are they legitimate kings mm-hmm. under the kingship of the one true king. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, and it doesn't work like that very much. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, the the Davidic line is legitimate, and you know the the covenant made with David is that there's coming one of your descendants who will reign on your throne forever. And this is Jesus. He shows up. He is in the Davidic line, but surprise, he's also the real king of Israel. Right. He's Yahweh in the flesh. He's the real king of Israel, and. He's standing there in front of him. Even Pilate tells him. I mean, there's so much like irony uh-huh. that's built into this. The way it plays out. Right. Behold your king. Yeah. Well, he's he's not. He's joking. Uh huh. But he's speaking the truth. Yeah. It's literally think about it. The first time, like the nation and and the priest have seen altogether the physical manifestation of Yahweh mm-hmm. crowned in His glory. I mean, He's crowned in the in the curse. Right. But he's really there. Yeah, it's their real king, and they say we don't have a king. We have no king but Caesar. Right. And so we just see how how deeply entrenched sin is, uh, how it's affected them. And Jesus explains this in John chapter five as to why, and he explains it this way: It's because you you love uh, to seek the glory that comes from one another, mm. rather than seeking the glory of God. You seek. The glory that comes from one another, yeah, and therefore you can't believe, right? Yeah, I mean, you just in these sixteen verses, you just see the the depravity of man. You you see the soldiers as they're they're um, mocking Jesus and beating him. Um, you see Pilate, who he's confronted, he's confronted with 
with who Jesus is. Um, and he seems to at least partially, you know, believe it. Um, he, he seems more willing to believe it than the religious leaders. And yet he's still willing to hand him over to be crucified. And then the religious leaders who should know the old Testament, they should know what the Messiah is, is going to be like, what he's going to look like, what he's come to do. They, Isaiah 53 was in their, Mm -hmm. in their scriptures. They, they should have known this. Um, They've seen Jesus's signs. They know that he's actually done these things. And yet they still are just hell bent to murder him. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're just completely ensnared in their sin. Yeah. But man is basically good, Jay. Yeah. And nothing, right. nothing you say is going to, uh, to convince me otherwise. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so we, we can see here, how does it connect to, to, to sovereignty, mm-hmm. the sovereignty of God? I think we ought to realize that when you read the story, there is nothing different about you than these people. Right. Right. They're not. They're not some type of specially wicked human. But it's easy to look that way, right? It's right. easy to look at at the religious leaders and say, well, yeah. "I wouldn't. I, if I had been there, right, I wouldn't have done that." Yeah. Yeah. And you you shouldn't look at the text and say these are just representatives of the worst of humanity. Mm-hmm. They're just humans. Right. That's just that they're just humans. Yeah, that's all they are. It's Pilate's just a regular person, human. So are these religious leaders. They're just, they're just and humans are. Pilate would have been a nobody if it hadn't been for the God sovereignly putting him where he is mm-hmm. at this time. Right. I mean, he he's not someone that that a history book is going to spend a lot of time on. Right. Yeah. Who are the other governors of Gia? Nobody knows. Nobody right. cares. Yeah. Uh, and if it, if it weren't for the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and salvation, we would do the same as they do. We would reject God, no matter the amount of, of revelation given to us, we yeah. would reject him, we'd still be rejecting him, if he did not act sovereignly to free us from our sin. Yeah. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says that after saying anyone who sins is a slave of sin. You can't yeah. free yourself from this condition. And so... We see yet yeah, the the depravity of man, and we should see ourselves in this, and know and realize, if not for the grace of God, we would still be lost. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. Yeah, and that's um, that's a hard pill to to swallow. Yeah, especially for unregenerate man. Oh yeah, yeah. He sure. doesn't want to. Uh, he doesn't want to submit to this idea that he's enslaved to anything, and that that's the same with the with the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, because they they say, unironically, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we've never been enslaved to anybody, right? Yeah, um, and here their own chief priests, the their their rulers, are saying we have no king but Caesar. Yeah, yeah, and they uh, they just completely they're just completely blinded. Uh-huh. Um, we talked about this on uh, the podcast last Friday. Yeah, that this this is man in his natural his natural state, he is enslaved to sin. And this is why Jesus says you must be born again. Right. He, he says like, to Nicodemus, religious, devout, we would call him moral. Um, you can't even see the kingdom mm-hmm. unless you're born again. Right. Like, something has to happen to you. Just like as drastic as when you were born physically, you've got to be, be reborn spiritually. And this is done 
by the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you think back to this clause in the beginning of John's Gospel, you don't realize how important it is until you get to texts like this, mm-hmm. right? And here's here's the the passage. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so that is because, of course, God has to be sovereign over salvation. Right. You are not born again of your own will. You're born again of the will of God. He's yeah. the only one that can rescue out of out of that state that you're in. So, so you you brought it you brought the sermon full circle back right. to yeah back to nine eleven yeah 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 which <clears throat> sent you to Iraq uh-huh. brought you back as just hardened in your unbelief uh huh yeah right that's right yeah I like I said didn't believe in God yeah um because there's no proof of that right I I think it, well, people that call themselves atheists. They haven't thought through it correctly, yeah. because I think the where, the where you should go is that you're agnostic. Yeah, um, you but don't. That, yeah, agnostic, nihilist, yeah. not believing in anything. Right. That God's at least the God of the Bible. He's not real. But that's not the end of the story, right? Right. Yeah. So, I think I didn't really truly even understand myself until that. Mm-hmm. Right. And because I had a true knowledge of myself, I heard the gospel again eventually. And hearing the gospel again, God, um, I was born again, not of my own will. <laughs> like I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I think I'll just become a Christian today. <laughs> right. Not at all. Uh, just was born of God. Uh, was confronted with the gospel. Knew that yeah, I'm really a sinner. Not that I've done commit, I've committed like sins, and that makes me a sinner. But that I've done, and everything I've ever done is because I am, I am a wicked person, and deserving of God's wrath. That God is good, He's holy, and um, none of that's none of that happens unless nine eleven happens. It's interesting to look and see how all these things connect in your life. Yeah, God's sovereign over human history, even the evil intentions of men, and. He was sovereign over my salvation. Mm. So it's pretty awesome. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just, uh, just, I think we'll spend eternity just recounting the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. Um, There are probably millions, probably billions of, of things that all fit together. Yeah. um, And this, this great tapestry that, that we, we individually just cannot see. Um, but uh, God is sovereign over overall history and over the thoughts and intentions of man, the actions of even evil men, and He's going to accomplish His purposes in Christ. Yep, that's good. Yeah. So instead of uh, arguing over God's sovereignty, we ought to glorify God over His sovereignty. So thank you for joining us today for uh, Text Driven Tuesday, um, and I hope that this has been beneficial for you, Jay. You're taking a break now, aren't you? I'm, yes. ex- I'm excited, buddy. On Hebrews, I'm excited. Right? We're going to start Hebrews. We're going to start Hebrews. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if this has been beneficial for you, please like, subscribe, share, um, get the word out, and uh, 
hopefully this helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ.